0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode four of the Is What Podcast. I'll say what's up to that. My name is Michael Graham, and I'm going to be your host for this episode. As mentioned, episode four of the Is What Podcast. Um, Before we get things kicked off, I would like to invite all of you to come and check me out on Instagram and Twitter at Is What Podcast. You can follow my page on Facebook, facebook.com slash is what podcast you can go anchor.fm slash is what that's I S W T T. Uh, With that, you can listen to all of my recordings. You can listen to this anywhere major podcasts are uh, put out on all of your devices, iPhone, iPad, Android computer. If you go to anchor.fm slash is what I am trying to save up for a new mixing setup so I can get multiple microphones. I can really increase the audio quality of every episode I want to have another microphone, maybe two, three more, so I can start having some fun and exciting guests on. So if you do go to anchor.fm slash is what I would very much appreciate any donations. All of the money that is given is going to go straight into a bank account that is going to go to nothing but taking care of the podcast. All of the upkeep, uh, inviting guests on, making sure everybody, you know, when they come in, they can sit down and enjoy, have a nice comfortable chair, maybe have a delightful soda from potentially a mini fridge something fun like that. So anchor.fm slash is what for donations would be much appreciated. With all of that said, let's go ahead and let's get right into it. So this episode is, I think, going to be something that is more interesting to me than probably most other topics. So I do think, and I've always been long fascinated Ever since I was in high school and I took a a class on mythology, even when I was in college, I took a mythology class. So I do want to touch a little bit on one of or two actually of the many, many tales and myths of the Greek gods. So I'm not going to dive too deep into the history of the gods and the Titans and all of this because that in itself could be not only just an episode, but I think that could be a full series if I'm going to be talking about all of the histories and the names and all of this, and it can get really jumbled and bungled very quickly. Even as I was doing some research for this episode, looking at the family trees of the Greek gods is something that is intimidating to say the least. So with that, I was actually able to narrow this down just a little bit. So thinking about some Greek myths and some stories that we may know, we may not know, You know, a myth really is just, it's a traditional story that's come through history. Oftentimes we don't even know the initial author of the story, but usually these myths are intended for a few reasons. One would be to teach a lesson about something. Maybe it's there to explain some of the mysteries of life. Maybe explain a phenomenon of nature that we don't necessarily know the origin of. Or maybe it's just to record the history of the people that have been involved. And I'm sure if it's recording the history of people involved, there is some level of embellishment. They probably change some details to give it that feeling of grandeur, some things that are maybe larger than life. Maybe I saw a three foot snake, but after hundreds of years of this being told, that three, four foot snake is a 200 foot long serpent that came out of nowhere and I had to slay him with my bare hands right so these myths can change over time but I think at the end of the day explaining one of life's mysteries teaching a lesson these are really what the myths are designed for because you might sit there and think great so I'm standing in a lush green field where's the wind coming from that is blowing on me Why is the wind hitting this grass and it bends in a certain way? Why is the sun shining down on my skin and it feels warm? Maybe you look off into the distance and you see a bird flying and it lands right near you. Why are there a pattern on this bird's feathers, on its wings, on its back? Why is it colored a certain way? I think the ancestors of humans, they contemplated our creation and looked around at the world that we had. And I think they tried to explain why things were. I think they use myths to explain life, death, everything really in between, even if it comes to, like I said, a natural phenomenon that we don't know. Why was there a volcano erupting? Why is there a snowstorm? Why is there an earthquake? I think they can, these myths can really all fall into us as humans really yearning to understand. And if we didn't understand something, then we might as well make something up that might make the next generation and generation afterwards better people with lessons to be learned from these things. I mean, after all, when you think about a myth, this mythos is a word. I always use the mythos of the Sasquatch. But mythos literally is the Greek word for myth. So when people talk about Greek mythology, literally comes from Greek. So this past week. I spent hours reading on different Greek myths. It all started a few nights ago. I laid down in bed and I was kind of thinking, okay, well maybe I'll go with some of the more well-known Greek myths and I'll explain those to you because I think not only are the stories really fun, they do teach us a lot. Um, as I got deeper and deeper into the, I guess you would call it like the research hole, I was watching videos, I was reading articles, I was reading excerpts from books, and I probably went through 25 to 30 different Greek myths, and I had to kind of choose between those. But I didn't really want to choose something that was as commonly well known as Hercules. Uh, I think a lot of people, you know who Hercules is. If you know a little bit more, you might know about his 12 labors, his 12 feats that he had to accomplish to really gain favor back upon Olympus. People know who Zeus is. If you don't, Zeus is the big buff guy with the white beard that hucks bolts of lightning at people and control the weather. Kind of known as the king of Olympus. You have Poseidon, who is the king of the oceans. Hades, the king of the underworld. Right, These gods, They they are already there. A lot of people know that. People know about Odysseus and his journey home from the war. You know, the Trojan horse. They know about Icarus and the wax wings. Don't fly too close to the sun like Icarus. Right? If you try to bite off a little bit more than you really need, you might ultimately crumble. So people know those. If you don't, you should look into them because not only, like I said, are the stories really fantastic. They do... Teach a lot and they give you really good insight into, I suppose you would say, just the human condition. But through this, I pinpointed two different myths that I got a kick out of reading. And they're not as well known. So you know, we'll just jump right into them. And really I'll just go through and I'll more or less explain the story, but there is a common connection here. Because I didn't want to just choose one thing in the next. I thought this would be a good connection to talk about the greek gods and their connection to animals here on on earth not up in olympus not in the you know in the stars in the skies not in the other world here on earth so that's kind of the connection between these so the first i would love to talk about the greek tale of io and after that it will be the greek myth of arachne both very interesting and they both do have connections to to animals and after you tell the story and you hear all of this you can kind of look back for a moment and you can really realize, okay, well, what was it that they were trying to explain while they were telling this, this story? Because it's not always just one thing. There might be a myth that explains one thing about the world or humans or really the surrounding of our being. But sometimes there are multiple explanations that are all woven into one story So we're going to take a quick break. And when I come back, I'm going to launch into the story of IO. Once again, it's a lesser known Greek myth. And hopefully you guys will get a kick out of this as much as as much as I did doing this research and reading these stories and learning all of this. Sorry, that was a little bit long winded. With that said, we'll be back shortly and we're going to jump into it. I'll say what's up to that. Damn, I'm excited. All right, I'll say what's up to that. Welcome back. So now we get to dive in to one of the very interesting, fun, exhilarating tales of Greek mythology that I read into this past week. So I would like to, before we dive into this, I want to preface this by saying that through all of the research that I've done and the stories that I've read over the last week or so, I've learned a few things about the Greek gods and largely... They're jerks. They are not these forgiving, humble, nice gods. Really, they're jealous. They, they let their own desires ruin countless lives. They can't control their emotions. And they hold grudges on a more heinous level than anybody you've ever met. So, like I said, I want to preface that. So, this is the story of Io. One day, Zeus and his wife, Hera, are sitting at the top of Mount Olympus, as Greek gods do, and Hera decides I'm going to go out for a stroll. So while Zeus is sitting there all alone at the top of Mount Olympus, he looks down upon the earth and he spies the most gorgeous woman that he's ever seen. Immediately, he thinks that she is his one true love and nothing can keep them apart. Nothing can keep them apart after all. He's Zeus. He's the king of the gods. He hurls lightning bolts. And if you've seen the Disney movie Hercules, he has circle nipples. Anyways, being the notable horn dog that Zeus is, he immediately leaves Mount Olympus and he goes down to Earth and he tries his luck at seducing this young lady behind his wife Hera's back. This isn't just a random girl that's sitting there by the banks of a river. This is, her name is Io, and she's actually the daughter of a gentleman named Anakis, who's the king of the city, Argos, that they live in. It's actually a city in Greece. I looked this up, and it's one of the oldest known inhabited cities in the world. Fun fact. Still standing to this day, people still live there. Anyways, back to the story. So as Zeus appears before Io with what can really be described as an electric presence that only Zeus can command. He propositions her and tries to seduce her into a sexy half human, half God entanglement. If you will, naturally IO freaks out and she runs away as quick as she can. Um, Clearly this is not Zeus's first time trying this type of thing. So being as sneaky and randy as he is, before he left Olympus, he summoned this unnatural cloud cover as if there were a lightning storm when everything else is otherwise completely clear. So if Hera, his wife, gets back to the palace in Olympus and looks down when she returns from her walk or her errands, whatever she was doing, she peers down from Olympus, she can't really see what he's doing because of this cloud cover. So... As Io runs away, Zeus tracks her down with the intent of, I suppose you would say, satiate his godly desires. So, right before Zeus catches up to her and is able to uh, seal the deal, Hera arrives just as he feared, because she she was up there. She noticed this suspicious cloud patch. She went down to investigate it. I think as anybody would when you see, you're like, ah, something is a little off. Let's go check out what's going on. After all, I'm oh a god. I can't be harmed. That kind of thing. So in an attempt to cover his tracks, the tracks of this extramarital affair, and throw Hera off of the, the trail of what he's doing, he turns Io into a cow. But, I mean, after all, who who would want to get frisky with a cow? Not Zeus. Certainly not Zeus. He's the king of the gods. Why a cow? When he has a perfectly good wife at home. But when he turned Io into the cow, it wasn't just an ordinary cow. The cow was still as beautiful and stunning as Io herself was when she was a human. So Hera comes down and she sees Zeus under this formation of clouds with really this beautiful cow. But she's not really fooled. And in seeing this, Hera insists Zeus gives her the cow as a gift so she can keep the cow forever. And Zeus realizes very quickly, well, if I say no to something as simple as giving a cow as a gift to my wife, something is going to be oddly suspicious. So with that said, he clearly puts his well-being over the well-being of Io. But remember, this is his one true love. Uh, With that, like I said in the very beginning, these guys are jerks and they're really they aim to put themselves first. And this shows just a portion of it. They're very human, but I think their emotions run higher than humans' emotions tend to. So Hera does take the cow, Io, to her pastures, and she wants to place a watch on on this cow. So it's this cow is going to be under a 24-hour guard, and the guard is known as Argus. Not to be confused with Argos, which is the city that Io's father is the king of. A lot of these names are very similar. But Argus is this creature that has a 100 eyes all over his body, on his arms, on his legs, back, shoulders, head, face, everywhere, and is, is ever watchful because Argus never needs to sleep with all eyes at once you can close two eyes, three eyes, four eyes, while keeping the other eyes awake to be, like I said, ever watching, ever vigilant, keeping watch over the beautiful cow that is Io. So even when Argus goes to sleep, the rest of the eyes are still awake watching. And even though Io is well cared for, I mean, come on, it must be a terrible existence to be a cow grazing around, sleeping in the dirt. When you were a human, your father was the king of the city. You slept in, you know, on gold sheets. You had people feeding you grapes at any given point. Everything was at your fingertips, but now you're a cow. Even though the cow is well cared for, it's not the same. Not quite the same. So, you know, with that said, Zeus is seeing what's going on. And slowly but surely, this guilt is creeping, creeping at him and eating at him. Because, you know, it's his true love and all. So he must feel guilty. So Zeus eventually goes to Hermes, who's the mischievous conniving messenger of the gods and he asks for hermes help to get io back so hermes obliges and he pops down to earth disguises himself as an old shepherd and he approaches argus and io as io is grazing in a field while hermes approaches he's playing music from his pipes and this intrigues argus and argus says hey come on over and tell me and they start to chat and tell me about where you got the pipes what is this i haven't seen it before As mentioned, Hermes is conniving and he's a little trickster. So he starts to tell a lengthy tale of his pipes and where he got them, and where he learned to play and the history of the pipes and the theory behind pipes and so on and so forth. And eventually this story becomes so boring that Argus falls asleep with all 100 eyes which is a, you know, a feat that's never been occurred. But of course, Hermes, the god, is the one that can make this happen. And then Hermes cuts off his head. It wasn't enough that this 100-eyed creature was sleeping. Perfect, let's get this cow and let's get out of Dodge. No, 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 not enough. Hermes takes his sword and cuts off the head of Argus. Hera finds out, of course, when she comes to visit her beautiful trophy cow, and her good friend Argus. And needless to say, Hera is furious. Not furious with Hermes, not mad at Zeus. Furious with Io. Thinking somehow she was the one who did this. She's a cow. But for some reason, this cow was able to decapitate my friend, the one that's watching over my prized possession, the cow. So hera without a doubt is going to turn all of her rage and her fury to io but before she does in a an homage if you will to argus she actually removed all 100 of his eyes and placed them on the feathers of the peacocks so that explains when you look at a peacock and the feathers are out that's why that peacock has the markings on the edge of the feathers that resemble eyes as I had mentioned before, the Greeks tend to use a lot of their myths to explain things that happen in life that they can't otherwise explain. So that's why the peacocks have these very distinct feathers that have the eyes on the end of them. Then Hera goes back and she goes after Io and she plagues her with these flies that will constantly bite at the hindquarters of this cow, forcing Io to never stop moving in an attempt to get away from these these gadflies that continually bite at the butt end of this cow. And once again, this explains why cows always have flies that they're behind and why their tails always go left and right and then left and right and they never really stop swiping to get the flies away from biting and attacking. So while IO is trying to get away from these flies, these gadflies that are biting and biting and biting, she actually runs all the way around a sea in the Mediterranean, which is now known, as the Ionian sea. So the sea is now named after her. So, you know, the sea wraps really, if you look at it, the Ionian sea on a, on a map wraps around really from what would be the toe end of Italy all the way up through the South South point of Greece. So it's the Ionian sea. You can still look it up. Very good. So eventually Io runs and runs and runs and tries to get away from these flies that are constantly nagging and constantly biting at the end of her She gets to the banks of river and completely collapses. Just exhausted. It's done. And at this point, Zeus looks and he begs Hera, please forgive IO. It was me. I was the one who did all of this. Please turn her back into a human and forgive her. And Hera does. So now does Zeus get in trouble? No, 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 no. Does Hermes get in trouble? Nope. But they put this, character this human io through this entire torment this entire thing happens because zeus was trying to save his own his own ass so io becomes a human again she does get a happy ending if it you know if it really means anything to you because she eventually gets married to a king and they live happily ever after and she's largely worshipped as a god for the rest of her days that's fine but was that all worth what she had to go through, you know, being turned into a cow and never knowing if you're going to become a human again? Living in the lap of luxury, being the daughter of a king turned into nothing more than a farm animal just simply because Zeus wanted to get his rocks off. You know, like I said, these, these Greek gods are not these really nice and forgiving. They're really vengeful. They run very emotional, very hot-headed. But at the end of the day, Io gets her happy ending. Everything is good. But you see how in in that story of Io, it explained a few things. Why do they call it the Ionian Sea? Why are there markings on the peacock that are so specific? Why do the cows constantly left and right with their tail to try to get those flies away? Why are there flies there in the first place? Very interesting story. I'll say what's up to that. When we come back, there's going to be one more, and this next one is, once again, very fun, and it has to do with the Greek gods and their relationship with animals here on Earth. I'll say what's up to that. (laughs) Sensational. So now, welcome back, and we were able to, a few moments ago, over the story of Io, and explaining how and really showing how the Greeks used these various myths to tell about the world around them. This next upcoming story is no different in that sense. So I will now explain and tell you the story of Arachne. So one thing to, I suppose, preface this with, seeing as the Greek gods aren't the most forgiving individuals uh, talking bad about them usually leads nowhere good nowhere fast so this is the story of arachne and arachne is she's a woman that lives in greece very simple woman she's not exceptionally rich she's not overly beautiful she doesn't have any powers she isn't half god she's just the daughter of a shepherd plain and simple except for the fact that Arachne can weave these tapestries better than anyone that has ever walked the earth. So she's known from all corners of Greece as the one you go to if you have the coin and you want a gorgeous woven tapestry to put on your wall. People would travel for days, weeks to meet her and purchase the tapestries that she would weave. So slowly but surely, she starts to realize that her fame for the skill is growing. Her name is getting out there more and more. And because of that, she starts to develop a sense of pride. And one day, while standing in the market, she claims to everyone standing there that she can weave tapestries better than anyone. Gods included. And she decided in the moment to call out the goddess Athena. So Athena, the goddess of wisdom, the goddess of war, probably not the best goddess to go after. or god. I suppose none of them are. But for some reason, let's go after the goddess of war and call her out by name. Genius. And considering the gods, these Greek gods presumably gave arachne her gift of weaving these magnificent works in the first place it's not a good plan to throw that back in the faces of these gods these deities so athena overhears what arachne is saying in the market and she heads down to earth and she you know gets her mortal disguise and becomes an old woman and she kind of walks up with her little cane and she suggests to arachne that boasting to be better than athena is a quick path to a miserable existence or even a miserable end. And she should dial it way back. Way, way back. So Arachne turns to this little meager old lady with the cane. She's old. And Arachne laughs this off and says, Well, you know, if, a, if Athena wants to stop me, she should come down here and she should make me. It's a bad look. Probably don't ever, ever, ever do that to a Greek god. Or goddess in this case. So Athena snaps out of her disguise and to the surprise of everyone, she sets forth a challenge between the two to see who reigns supreme instead of iron chef, whose cuisine reigns supreme is iron weaver whose tapestry reigns supreme. So they set up this challenge and at the same time, they start going to town. Each of them are weaving their own tapestry so hours hours and hours go by and eventually both are done so now comes the time to judge the tapestries and see both of them and see which one reigns supreme so when the tapestries are all done we'll start with athena's athena weaves the depiction of athena and poseidon in another tale when they were competing of who would be the patron god of the city of athens and in this competition Poseidon granted the city of Athens with a clean, ever running spring of water. But then Athena goes and she actually created and granted the city of Athens, the very first olive tree to resemble peace, prosperity, longevity. So based on the fact that the city is named Athens, I think we can guess who won. So on Athena's tapestry, in each of the four corners, there's a visual representation of different times in history that humans sassed the gods and claimed superiority over the gods in one way or the other. And it also gave the visual representation of how that did not work out in the humans' favor, in the slightest. So there you go, there is Athena's tapestry. When Arachne finishes, this is a gorgeous colorful masterfully woven tapestry that is a collage of different times that Zeus or Poseidon use their status as a Greek God to find a human woman and have sex with her and fornicate with these human women. Not the best situational awareness from Arachne. And I think this is the second or third time this has happened. Uh, Athena didn't find it entertaining as after all that's her uncle and her father being insulted on this tapestry, no matter how gorgeous it is still insulting. It's not just insulting because it was her father and her uncle and she's more or less talking, you know, negatively of the gods. It also is insulting to Athena because Arachne's work was far more skilled and breathtaking than her own. So Athena's response to seeing this, once again, masterfully woven tapestry. It's the same as everybody's would be. She loses her damn mind and she destroys the tapestry right then and there. And she rips it to shreds. And when she's done ripping it to shreds, she commences to thoroughly physically beat Arachne down right there in the square in front of everybody. So Arachne, you know, once she recovers, she doesn't take the criticism of this work too well. And she realizes at this point she's disgraced. No one would ever buy her work again because she, you know, faced off head to head with one of the gods and goddesses of the Greek myths. No one's probably going to want to marry her because who knows if they're going to hold one of those legendary Greek god and goddess grudges. So she decides the only thing to do at this point is to kill herself. So she goes and she decides at this point, I'm going to go into the woods, hang myself, leave this world forever because I'm disgraced. But Athena, you know, Athena wanted to prove the point and she wanted to provide a beating, I suppose, whether it be beating her in this tapestry weaving or physically beating her down. She didn't want Arachne to kill herself. So Athena came to the common conclusion It was kind of right down the middle. If Arachne wanted to hang, then let her do it, but let's let her live as well. So then Athena doused Arachne with what was, it's the juice of a herb, an herb called Hecate's herb. I think I said that right. Hecate's herb. So this acted as a poison causing Arachne's hair to fall out. Her ears and her nose fall off immediately And where her hair once was grew this really thick black hair. And before where she had two arms and two legs, she's now starting to sprout four additional limbs to make eight in total. And then her belly started growing a little bit more bulbous and a single piece of thread that would never cease to come out, no matter how much she pulled at it, started to emerge. So now Arachne was transformed into the world's first spider but the details of the transformation can be a little bit sketchy depending on where you're reading it. What version of this myth, I suppose some of them say she turned into a full spider and that was the world's first spider. Some say it was, you know, Arachne was half human, half spider and her family lineage was cursed from then on that her offspring would actually be the first full, full blown spiders. So that is another story and tale myth of why spiders weave webs. And that's why we refer to spiders as arachnids. If you're scared of spiders, it's said you have arachnophobia, just like the hit movie with Jeff Daniels and John Goodman. But again, that's how Greeks use these myths to explain the world around them. This explains a couple things. It explains why Greece has an abundance of olive trees, But spiders, not only why they exist, but also why they spin these intricate webs. And it also, I I think it serves as a warning to everyone in ancient Greece. Do not challenge the might of the gods. It doesn't work out well. If you're saying bad things and people suggest you don't, maybe listen just a little bit. But another takeaway from this, really when you can step back and think about this story... It's not just this story, but if you actually spend some time, you can realize that this tale really is a, it's a reason to understand that no matter how skillful you might be at any given thing, you should always keep a level head and keep, keep humble, keep a humble wit about you and know your place in the greater scheme of things. No one is greater than the rest of the world in any one thing. There's always something, someone that is going to come along and either be better than you, change the way you view things. An ego can be a very dangerous thing. Just ask that spider on your shoulder. Oh, that was a bad one. Anyways, the one last thing I really wanted to read about this uh, was someone's comment on an article that I was reading. I think that sums this up relatively perfectly. And it says that this story is the perfect display of the God's jealousy and arrogance, as well as the Greek God's inability to teach humans properly. Instead of humbling humans with thought or reason, the gods tend to get very offended and hostile to these relatively foolish people in the story. Athena didn't realize and even think to go down and ask Arachne, well, why, why do you think your work is better than that of the gods? Instead, Athena just showed up, and as I mentioned before, pops off, gets overly emotional, and immediately goes into full rage mode, and says, "Hey, I'm challenging you!" Incredibly petty. So that's the story of Arachne, and that is the Greeks' reason why we have olive trees and spiders. It was a great story. I thought it was a really good time. I had a great time doing this research this week. Uh, it's the end of the episode. If you've made it this far, thank you very much. And once again, I'm going to throw out the invitation. Please follow me on Instagram, is what podcast, is podcast. Same on Twitter, facebook.com slash is what podcast, anchor.fm slash is what if you like my work and you want to keep it going, donations are always accepted, trying to build a better studio to provide better content for you moving into the future. I'm not taking a salary off of this. This is strictly going to be my passion project, and I want you to have the best possible content moving forward. So thank you for joining me and listening on this one. I'll say what's up to that.